0: My name is Frank Horan. I am currently emeritus editor of the journal and formerly an editor. I now propose to give you a short account of the history of the journal. The earliest journals devoted to orthopedic surgery were principally from Germany, with the Zeitschrift Orthopädie being perhaps the best known. Publication in English did not start prior to the formation of the American Orthopedic Association. This organization had its first meeting in June 1887. It followed a meeting held in the house of Dr. Schaefer, a prominent New York orthopedic surgeon, and it was decided that a meeting would be held. The reason for the formation of the association was that there were an increasing number of surgeons in the United States practicing orthopedics, virtually solely although plainly there were still many general surgeons performing our specialty however it was felt that people should join together and in particular dr schaefer mentioned the need to have a closer liaison with orthopedic surgeons in europe the first meeting then was held in june 15th and 16th and the next one was a year later at the time of the meeting dr schaefer again emphasized the need for such an association not only to bring together american orthopedic surgeons but also to secure a better recognition in europe for american orthopedic surgery after the second meeting in 1889 it was decided to publish a transactions these were simply records of the meetings which had been held and did not contain any other original material The American Association began to thrive, and in 1903, they felt that it was reasonable to change the title to the American Journal of Orthopaedic Surgery. The reason for this was because they decided that they would encourage submissions from people who did not necessarily attend their meetings. They continued to be a successful entity, and matters proceeded smoothly until the Great War. Now, the interesting thing about this particular ghastly was that the American forces came in to the combat in Europe in about 1917. Prominent American orthopedic surgeons had realized that this was going to be the case, and Joel Goldthwaite, who was an orthopedic surgeon in Boston, had gathered together a number of orthopedic surgeons who would be prepared to come to Europe to help treat their expeditionary force. Meanwhile, Robert Jones, a doyen of British orthopaedics, had been charged with organising the care of the wounded from the First World War, and by the middle of 1916 to 1917, he had established a string of hospitals around the United Kingdom treating solely wounded soldiers from the Western Front. The principal one in London was at the Hammersmith Hospital, and when the Americans came over, most of their surgeons were centred there. Robert Osgood, another orthopaedic surgeon from Boston, was a leading member of this group and found himself as the principal assistant to Robert Jones in the Organisation of Affairs. Now, plainly, the meetings of this large group of surgeons provoked considerable interest among them all, and Osgood suggested to Robert Jones the formation of the British Orthopaedic Association. Now, it may be wondered why we were so late in this country in having such an organisation. There had been early attempts, with a British Orthopaedic Society meeting as early as 1894, the meetings were held either in London, Bath, Birmingham, or Liverpool, and the principal aim was to try and steer away the care of fractures from general surgeons. However, the society only lasted for four years. There were several reasons for this. Firstly, people did not particularly like travelling the distances involved, and secondly, British medicine was, at that time, dominated particularly by surgeons from the teaching hospitals in central London, and the relationships between the various parties were not always smooth. This society did publish transactions, which were simply records of the meetings which were circulated to members, but never achieved particular status. Now, it may be wondered whether the surgeons at this time produced Any clinical papers or observations which might have been published. Plainly there were far less than there are now, but British surgeons did write, and their papers were sent either to the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine, where an orthopedic section was founded in nineteen nineteen. Previous to that it had been a subsection of the section of surgery. So papers were published in the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine, the British Journal of Surgery or in the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. So we come towards the end of the Great War, and the question of the foundation of the British Orthopaedic Association arose again. A preliminary meeting was held at the Café Royal in November 1917, and there were 18 prominent orthopaedic surgeons present. It was decided to form a society, and the first meeting was held in February 1918 chaired by Walter Bristow. Now the question of a journal arose. Where would they publish papers if they produced them? Due to Osgood's influence, it was decided that the American journal would also become the official volume of the British Orthopaedic Association. Therefore, it changed its title and in 1919 became the Journal of Orthopaedic Surgery, looking after the two associations. This continued as a title until 1922, when, because of the increasing influence and scope of orthopaedic surgery, the title was changed to the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. The editor then was Elliot Brackett, who was a potent force in the spread and success of the journal. He was, of course, based in Boston. Now, matters continued reasonably well from the British point of view we had a a member of the editorial board of the american journal but plainly because of the uh, difficulties in travel where it was necessary to spend virtually a week in a boat to get to north america the two outfits never met arrangements were done by correspondence. there was a british editorial committee but a problem arose because of the paucity of the papers from the uk and also the american editor had the final choice this resulted in rumblings of discontent from those in the UK who did not have their papers accepted when they wished. With the formation of the American Academy in the early 1930s, the journal became also the official publication of that organisation. Such affairs continued until the Second World War. However, in England, T.P. McMurray, a prominent orthopedic surgeon from Liverpool, felt in 1938 that this should be an independent journal, and expressed this at meetings of the Council of the British Orthopaedic Association. In 1943, the role of a British editorial secretary was discussed again, and it was felt that we in the UK did not have sufficient access to publications. And therefore, in 1944, a subcommittee of the BOA was established to consider the situation. It is noted in the minutes of the association that in August 1946 we favoured the establishment of a British journal. It must also be remembered that because of the Second World War, orthopaedic surgeons from the Commonwealth and the United States were centred in Great Britain, and therefore among our colonial colleagues the wish to have a separate method of publication was clearly expressed. The BOA gave Sir Reginald Watson Jones the task of implementing progress now at this time the americans were somewhat concerned at this new venture they recognized the need for a journal organized from london and looking particularly to people from the commonwealth but on the other hand they did not wish to lose the links which had been built up over the years At this time, William Rogers was the American editor and the president of the American Orthopaedic Association was R.I. Harris, a Canadian from Toronto. They were particularly anxious to keep the link and came across in May 1947 to meet the BOA and in particular Sir Reginald Watson-Jones. At this meeting, it was decided that... The British should publish the journal, but retain the old title of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery, but be considered as the British volume. The first meeting of the editorial board of the British volume was held on July 25th, 1947. The chairman was Professor Harry Platt, later Sir Harry, and the editor Sir Reginald Watson-Jones. Now, Watson-Jones was a key figure in British orthopaedics, A man of great drive and personality, he produced a classic book on the management of fractures, written in the early part of the war. This became a worldwide Bible, being the first major textbook on fractures published in English. Now, Sir Reginald had very wide connections. One of the problems in establishing a journal at this time was the lack of paper, which was rationed. He approached the late Harold Wilson, who was then President of the Board of Trade and eventually became Prime Minister, and paper was allowed. Sir Reginald was also the orthopaedic surgeon to the royal family, and when the first volume was produced, he sent a copy to the king. We have in the archives a letter from Sir Alan Sells, who was the Prince of Leckwardin Secretary to the King, congratulating us on the production of the journal and wishing its success. Now the journal flourished from its early days. From the British side, the British Orthopaedic Association were prepared to pick up any financial deficit but this was never necessary. The masthead of the journal, for both the British and American volumes, contained details of the two editorial boards, the secretaries and those who were mainly assisting in the production of the journal. Because of the relative financial success and the realisation that the journal should not be looked upon as an arm of the British Orthopaedic Association, a fresh society was formed in 1953, the British Editorial Society of Bone and Joint Surgery. This organisation exists still in pretty much the form in which it was devised. It is entirely separate from any other connection, financially independent, and has no reliance on the British Orthopaedic Association. The latter have a place on the Council of Management by invitation since the President attends the meetings. The virtue of the editorial society has meant that the journal can remain entirely independent, both financially and as regards its educational content. The society achieved charitable status, which has been a considerable help in its financial success. However, it must be remembered that the basis of this status lies in, and I quote, "...the advancement of education and diffusion of knowledge in orthopaedic and allied surgery this means that the journal is our principal means of fulfilling this mission but also we would be free to run courses provide scholarships and similar activities this is partly done by offering funding to the travelling fellowships from britain to the united states now initially the journal was housed in the Royal College of Surgeons, but relationships were not entirely sound because of the amount of rent which the college felt was appropriate, and so the organisation was moved to the rooms of Sir Reginald Watson-Jones in Portland Street. He had three floors of a building there, being a basement, ground floor, and first floor, and the journal was placed in the basement. Initially, we produced four volumes per year. If you care to look at them now, you will see that they were principally accounts of case studies, case reports and similar. These were generally speaking, written by eminent orthopaedic surgeons of the day. The journal was reasonably successful and increased in size. And by 1981, there were five British and five American volumes. And by 1990, 12 American and six British. When John Goodfellow was editor, it became clear to him that our publication of abstracts of papers read at meetings simply took up too much space. And therefore, he initiated the supplement. Now, this still exists and indeed is immensely popular. When I was editor, I thought perhaps it was an unnecessary expense. But when I made inquiries as to whether people found it appropriate, I was told very clearly that it was to continue. Currently, we have the abstracts of some 46 national and international societies and produce three numbers per year. These are indexed on MEDLINE and people find them very useful, particularly when undergoing research activities. Now, apart from publishing the supplement and the main journal, when the European Federation of Orthopaedics and Trauma came into being, they decided to publish European instructional course lectures. The first meeting of this association, which was in Paris, was dealt with by Masson, a French publication company in this respect, but the standard of the translations and editing was not felt to be adequate. Therefore, the journal was asked to take the matter on. It became clear that with the increasing amount of basic scientific research undertaken in orthopaedic surgery, that a journal was required which would deal with this aspect of our work. In the United States, it was the Journal of Orthopaedic Research, but people in Europe felt that they had difficulty in getting publication in this journal. We were therefore approached by the European Orthopaedic Research Society as to whether we could help them in funding a journal of their own. The practicalities were that a separate publication would not have been financially possible. But we decided that we would, in association with EORS, open a separate research section within our journal. Neil Rushton became editor of this, and it has been extremely successful, and we still carry on with it. Now, overall, the size of the journal gradually increased. The American volumes by 1990 had reached 12 issues per year. The British came up from 6 to 8 in 1999, and by 2005 to 1 per month, namely 12 per year, coming out more or less at the same time as the Americans. The reason for this was partly because of the great increase in papers that we have been offered, and secondly, because of the ease of marketing and organisation running a monthly volume. Now, you may ask, how is the journal produced? Well, we have an editorial board. There are 35 members at the current time, with representatives from Canada, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Europe, EFORT, and EORS. The members from the Commonwealth come but once a year, but otherwise we meet for five times each year in our headquarters at 22 Buckingham Street, just off the Strand. Now, what is the object of these meetings? the way that papers are dealt with is by sending them out to two reviewers initially and if agreement is reached the paper will probably then be published if they disagree they are sent out to further reviewers and if we cannot get a clear view of people's opinion of the paper, they will then be discussed at the editorial board when the full membership of that board is present. Usually, out of this at times rather heated level of discussion, a proper consensus is achieved and the editor will go ahead and publish the paper. We are currently getting over 1500 papers per year and are publishing perhaps 220. now. I will say no more, really, about the journal, because the organisation as such, on a day-to-day basis, is the responsibility of the editor. And I've simply given you a history of our publication. But remember that the object of the journal is to educate orthopaedic surgeons. It is our sole reason for existence, and we take pride in trying to produce papers of the highest standard, written and edited in a way which will be understandable to all our readers. It must be remembered that over half of our readers do not have English as their first language. We continue to manage well. We are still in relationship with our American colleagues, and I think that the journal will go ahead for many years. It may be said that the Internet will take over from the paper editions. I do not share this view. We have a well-developed website which increases in complexity and content every year but the paper journal fulfills a different need and we hope it remains, as it were, a good read.